The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Lord, you can't take my home. You people have taken everything from me. Everything. You send your knights and your fancy armor. Spell slingers burn down our homes. Burn down my farmhouse and the fields just to stop us from feeding folks. The world's changing. You see, we had a man come through. Taught us how a bullet cut straight through plate mail. Robes don't do much to stop them. Hell, I bet that crown you're wearing wouldn't slow around down one minute neither. Now, I know you're used to thinking this is your room, your woods, but it's not, not really. Not no more. It won't take a lot of lead to leave you with no army to protect that pretty key. I got eagle eyes, can spot you coming all the way to the horizon. And me and this archivist can reach out and touch you. Believe me. See, these woods are my home. Lord, you can't take my home. Podcast. I'm Randall James, your garish gunslinger, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. I, I should say this is uh, RPGBot.book review. So this is a bonus episode. We're going to be talking about Guns and Gears, the new Pathfinder 2nd Edition uh, source book. Tyler, what'd you think? Uh, I'm very excited for this book. Um, this book has so so much in it it's got guns it's got gears it's really about it but uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> there's a lot packed in here um well there's are, guns as gear there's guns as gear there's gears as guns uh <laughs> there's a gun that shoots spoons there's magical robots there's spider legs that you let you climb walls there are knives with wings on them all of these things are in this book, and my goodness, uh, there is so much to unpack here. Uh, I I can honestly say I don't think I've ever read an RPG source book that had me laughing this hard, but at the same time just gave me so many interesting ideas. Okay. Random, what was your take on it? It's interesting. So I, I must confess, I... I'm not nearly as versed in Pathfinder 2nd Edition as uh, either of these two folks. Um, with that said, so quick first impression on read-through. 
I, I definitely was reading more for the mechanics I could understand and, and how that related to, um, you know, things that I'm more familiar with. I, I have built a character in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and I wouldn't claim to know how it worked. Um, so with that said, especially given the timing, it really kind of feels like they're maybe trying to scramble to say, ah, we see the enormous popularity of the Artificer in 5th Edition. We're going to try and capitalize on that. But with that said, I think they did a really good job. Um, you both, so it, the the book itself is three chapters. There is gears, there is guns, and there is setting. Um, and the gears has some really cool stuff, from what I could understand. Uh, the uh, you know the, there's a, a class which feels a lot like the artificer, but has some some neat differences to it. Um, there's uh, oh, you know, robots, there's all kinds of stuff that you would want, and then there's guns, and the guns um, I, in the gun section, I honestly think there's some, and again, I only sort of understand power balance, but there's some things in there that I saw and thought, man, this feels like it is really strong in a way that doesn't make a lot of thematic sense, um, and so I'll, I'll be curious to see how that stacks up against what people who understand this better are, are thinking of it. Yeah, and, and I should say with those three chapters, the the authors were were very specific that kind of each chapter is meant to be taken in isolation if you wanted to. So if you wanted to bring everything from guns into your game, but you didn't want to bring gears or vice versa, uh, that option's available to you. And the reason they structured it the way that they did was explicitly to give a game master the ability to to structure their game that way. Um, I think it could be worth maybe kind of looking to the past. So Pathfinder First Edition, uh, there were Guns, yes, yeah. Um, the first edition Pathfinder, the book Ultimate Combat, introduced the Gunslinger as a class. Um, Gunslinger had a lot of really cool ideas. It had a panache point system where you you recharged your abilities by doing stuff that was cool, um, and that has kind of maintained theme across a few classes in both editions. Um, it also introduced firearms as a serious mechanic. Uh, they existed in 3.5 in the Dungeon Master's Guide, just like they do in 5th edition. Uh, but Pathfinder went all in and said, no, we're, like, we're just going to have a class that using guns is their thing. Um, but guns were kind of notoriously very powerful. Um, uh, if you're familiar with the third edition rules, they made touch attacks instead of regular attacks if you attacked within the first range increment. So, like, if you're within 30 feet with a musket or, like, 15 feet with a pistol, something like that, um, you just basically had to touch somebody. And usually touch AC never got above, like, 15, um, even if you were really, really nimble. So hitting was basically guaranteed... So if you just wanted to do an insane amount of damage all the time, you just built using guns. Um, so I will say uh, guns have actually changed a lot between editions. Um, people were justifiably worried that we'd have the same power creep in second edition from firearms, and I don't think that happened. Um I still kind of need some more time to dig in on the math and figure out exactly how this is going to work. But uh, touch attacks don't exist in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, so like that huge advantage for firearms has gone away. Um, 
So I don't think firearms are going to be nearly as much of a problem in second edition as they were. Um, they are still very powerful. They can still do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and I think Paizo actually did a really, really good job of differentiating different firearms. Like first edition, you had pistols, muskets, and then later they introduced like pillbox guns, which are basically just you reload less often because you manually rotate a barrel. Um, but, uh, yeah, second edition, we've got pillbox guns, we've got uh, air repeaters, we've got hand cannons, we've got... Uh, there's a ton of variety. I said this earlier, but there's a gun that shoots spoons. Um, <laughs> there's also a gun that's like four barrels on the end of a regular sawed-off shotgun. It's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. The um, Arquebus has like a range of like 150 feet, so you, mm-hmm. you have effectively a sniper rifle as a... yeah. Yeah, um, there there's an elven gun called the Mithril Tree. the fr- The first sentence of the description of uh, the first sentence of the description is the Mithril Tree, neither Mithril nor a tree, is an elven <laughs> firearm. <laughs> Way to I'm go! Glad they were clear. Nailed yeah. it. <laughs> um, let's see. So the other big change from first edition uh, misfire mechanics have changed a lot. Um, so in first edition, the way that they tried to balance firearms was you had a misfire chance. So if you rolled an attack roll and you rolled, I think it was one to four by default on your D20, your gun misfired, which made your gun broken. So you got a penalty to attack and damage. If it misfired again, it exploded and was permanently destroyed. So misfire was a huge problem in first edition. So like the first thing you did when you got good at guns was, okay, I've got to make myself so I can't misfire, which... Gunslinger class is like, okay, it's not one to four, it's one to two. And then you take a trait and you take a feat and it's gone. Um, So it was very easy to optimize away that drawback. Um, Second edition, misfire is uh, something that will generally only happen if you use specific features or actions from a feat. Um, So instead of being like, this is just how we're going to balance guns, it's how we're going to balance specific actions. And in particular, um, so... There is also a way that you can hose yourself into uh, uh, having to worry about misfire, even if you don't use any of these particular things. So they decided to introduce an element of realism, which I always think is fascinating when a role-playing game does that. Uh, If you use your gun in a day and you don't clean it overnight, the next day you can misfire if you roll low is the short answer. Um, And it's... It's really interesting that they're bothering to call out what you're doing in in the overnight downtime, um, but you know that is something where if you, for instance, um, it this was sort of a trope in three uh, X because of the way that exhaustion worked, um, where you could just be like us a third level druid and you never bothered sleeping again because you would get a lesser restoration back and that cures your tired and so you just why would i sleep um so um with fifth edition having much less of that because uh removing levels of exhaustion costs money now um and with pathfinder 2e um the what i have noticed about it is that uh, there there is a similar trend away from we're going to have these characters who are able to just go and go and go um i I think it's really interesting that they said no if you go like a day and you don't have the time maybe you're not able to sleep or not able to have uh this this downtime 
you're just going to be hosed the next day because that's how guns work. So I thought that that was a really cool thing. Yeah, it'd be interesting to me to see how Game Masters actually handle that, though, because it's either you give them the long rest and there's basically this standing agreement of when I take a long rest before I go to sleep, I always clean my gun. Problem solved, right? Uh, You know, the only other thing could be if you're denying them the opportunity for a long rest. But at that point, you're missing a lot of things. Uh, And so the the gunslinger not having been able to clean their gun is kind of the least of the problems. Uh, Vice versa, like imagine that situation where like it's been, you know, it's the 25th hour uh, goblins are climbing over the wall and coming after him, and he's sitting in the middle of the circle. It's like, I gotta clean my gun! <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yes, that's def- definitely a thing. The daily preparations are a major mechanic in 2nd Edition for a lot of classes. Um, there are a couple of classes who manage to like sneak around it. Like Fighters, I think, don't necessarily have to be dependent on daily preparations, but um, anytime that you prepare spells or materials or anything with a recharge, it's usually done during that during a daily preparations period, which is just like an hour after you take a long rest, basically. Okay. Um, and I I do really like that they gave the gunslinger a very specific thing that they had to do, and if you skip that, you have a cost. Yeah, I mean that that does feel super thematic, though. Like that, of course, is exactly what a gunslinger would do. They're going to take care of their tools mm-hmm. because their tools take care of them. I, so one thing that I didn't get into, and, and I'm wondering, Kyler, if you did. Uh, so one of the biggest differences in, in my mind in the action economy between 5e and Pathfinder 2 is this idea that you get to take three actions on your turn, period. One of those can be movement, and you cannot... Uh, yeah, I think you, it's true. You can't cut up your motion, right? Like if you move, that counts as a movement. And then if you want to do something and then move again, that's two movements. It's two actions, up yeah. to your total movement, right? Okay, good. Uh, well, um, so um, you can use those three actions for basically whatever. Um, yeah. The typical movement action is the stride, which is you move your speed. Um, you can only interrupt an action with generally free actions or reactions. So, like, um, there are specific things that you might be able to do during movement, but you're not going to, like, I, I take an action to stride, I walk a little bit, I take two actions to attack, and then I use the rest of my stride to move further. Like, no, you're you have you you've ended your stride to do something else. But if you want to stride, attack, and then stride again, that's something you could do. And that's all three of your actions at that point. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. And so, kind of setting the stage for folks who maybe weren't familiar with how actions worked in Pathfinder Two, uh, how how do the actions of loading and firing work? for the gunslinger. So um, I, I, th- I thought that the way that they handled reloading was really interesting. Um, I, uh, again, I'm sort of going on this like uh, with a half understanding, but I, I think that it's really cool that basically they gave every flavor of gunslinger of which there are four um, a different way of reloading. So um, there's somebody who uses uh twin pistols there's a sniper there's somebody using a sword and a pistol and then there's somebody using like enormous two-handed you know explosives or shotguns or that sort of thing um and each of them has a mechanic where basically they get to do something which is always like which is normally an action and then reload for free as part of that so like the the um the twin pistols person uh gets to like 
dance somehow. I, did, I didn't quite understand what that was. <laughs> uh, you, you twirl your pistols, and then you reload both as one action. There you and go. And then you have an action to fire both as one action. It's it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. And, yeah. and so take take just the, the is a pistol dancer, right? Uh, uh, pistolero. So, pistolero. Pistol. Okay. Uh, so so taking taking that character, they could. Reload the weapon if it was discharged last turn. They could fire, and then they actually still have the action to move if they want to, or to reload to prep for next stop. Yeah, so depending on two, depending on which feat you use. Uh, like I think their primary attack option is uh, like dual shot. I'm forgetting the name, but you it takes two actions. You fire both pistols, so um, it may actually be difficult to fire, move, and reload if you want to fire both pistols. But you could just fire one, move, reload. Like okay. the balancing your needs with the action economy is super important to combat in Pathfinder, and um, the Gunslinger does get uh, better ways to reload their weapons than your average character. But you still have to juggle that action economy a lot. Yeah, but I, I do. I feel like that sounds nicer. I I've played as a low level spellcaster, where I'm I'm actually using more crossbow bolts than I am uh, spells because <laughs> right that's what I have available to me. And yeah, the the go ahead. Oh, it just funny that you mentioned crossbows. Uh, the gunslinger also does call out that even if your game master has decided no, I don't want guns in my gun game, you can still use the gunslinger class with crossbows. A lot of the features actually call that out, which I thought was a really nice way to say, you know, even if someone is still horribly traumatized by three point X guns, no, you can still use this class. You can still have fun with it. It's just going to be slightly different and more twang than boom. No, I mean, that, that that sounds great, though. But, yeah, the, exactly. The idea that, like, I could reload and I could fire one of my crossbows off and then have a choice of moving, uh, alternative to, right, having to take two actions to reload my crossbow, that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so the... Is that is that guns? Do is there anything else we want to say about guns? Um, one super quick thing. Um, so if you're familiar with the iconic characters in first edition, uh, you may be familiar with the iconic gunslinger. Um, I cannot remember her name, but uh, tricorner hat, two pistols. Um, uh, she has been re- replaced by a new iconic gunslinger, who I'm actually very fond of. Uh, she is a dwarven woman with a shotgun. Uh, she is a a widow, she is a mom, and she's going adventuring in retirement. And for some reason, all of those things make me very, very happy. Um, there's also art in the book of her using her shotgun to perform a rocket jump, which uh, it you got to see. Awesome. It. It's it's so good. It's so good. Nice as as a character concept. That's fine. It's like, well, yeah, I'm ready to take it easy from being a uh, a widowed mother. Gonna go adventuring with my shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I, so, but before we and before we head too much out of guns, I, so one of the things that I was talking about earlier, a thing which seems mechanically very strong. So, some of the dedication feats um, in the guns section, there, there's uh, there's a tree that's about like, um, well, there's two that seemed really kind of unnecessarily strong. Um, one is like. I am meant to be a person watching over the battlefield, and so I'm, like, crazy good at perception, which perception in Pathfinder 2 is not only perception, which is always good, but it's also initiative a lot of the time, question mark. So, sure. Um, (laughs) 
but so that that whole dedication tree seemed really good and then there was another one um where basically it leaned into the sniper archetype um and you trained a party member as your spotter um and you could do some really interesting things with it and the immediate abuse case that i saw is uh if you have two people both being sniper gunslingers using each other as their spotter uh some of the mechanics in fact seem almost intended for that there was a like i i didn't really understand the the full um like like how this would play out but that that you should look into because that seems like it would be something that would be a very quick abuse case so yeah the, the rp opportunity for the sniping duo seems like a lot of fun like if you if you had another player who you were interested in doing that with and that's how you wanted to play it that does really seem like it'd be a lot of fun yeah that might need a handbook for that <laughs> someday when, yeah. when i when i get caught up on the on the uh other classes <laughs> no absolutely awesome yeah so guns to in my mind was really cool um being somebody who's primarily played 5e i i'll be honest i was barely aware that 5e actually had options for guns and and it's certainly nothing nowhere near this and so if this is something that fits in your game well I think it could be a lot of fun. I agree. Um, fifth edition kind of in, like guns are in the dungeon master's guide because they have to be, I guess. Um, and then we finally got a feat that made guns broadly available in Tasha's because there are some settings where guns canonically exist. Um, Ravenloft, uh, Spelljammer, probably a couple others, but most people play D and D like in a setting with no firearms. Uh, but Pathfinder, they're very much firearms in the setting. Okay, awesome. All right, so I think it makes sense. Let's go ahead and go to the Gears chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, what did folks What did folks think of the Gears chapter? Uh, there is, again, a lot here. Um, I, I have my physical copy sitting in front of me. It arrived literally today, and I'm very excited about it. Um the Gears Equipment chapter, the first the first piece of art is the iconic alchemist with some kind of robotic spider legs suspended from the side of a building throwing bombs at intellect devourers while the uh, iconic monk looks on helplessly from below. Um, <laughs> it just There is some just crazy wacky nonsense in here. There, there are boots called blast boots that are literally fireworks strapped shoes that you use to jump great distances. Like if, if this sounds dangerous was a character concept, it would be this section of the book. Uh, (laughs) It's so good. It's so much fun. If a character ever said here, hold my beer. (laughs) Yes. Well, and uh, who better to say "Here, hold my beer" than the the inventor? So, yeah, I sort of touched on this earlier. This is basically their response to an artificer. And uh, one thing that's interesting. So, um, so they, as I under, as far as I could understand, there is no spell casting to this character. It um, functions a lot more like uh, like an alchemist, um, where it's it's more just like do things that are 
far beyond the pale of a regular person, but there's no actual magic employed here. Um, but so some interesting things, they always get armor. Um, now you can tech harder into the armor. Um, if, you know, if that's your shtick, but, um, like everyone gets it as opposed to there just being an armor or subclass. Like I am an enormous fan of in fifth edition. Um, but one of the other things that really struck me is that they can sort of do anything. I mean, they can be pretty tanky, and if you want to tech into the armor, they can be a pet class and a really damn good one um, if you tech into the automaton. They can be a really competent fighter with an enormous number of choice points. Oh, my God. Um, like, you can... I, I don't I don't really understand, like, what a, a level zero or, or a level one weapon, but it, it feels like you can sort of take any weapon that you want and then just, like... Okay, and here's six bells and whistles that make this uniquely mine and amazing. Yeah, so to to quickly touch on how items work, because that is super important to the inventor. Um, so in Pathfinder, weapons and armor have runes on them, and you've got an enhancement rune, uh, you have a like a power rune, basically, and then you have property runes. So, if, so Rawl, Zor, S, is that... <laughs> Something like that, Just yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Diablo. Um, yes. So if you're familiar with 3.x, like you have your plus whatever, that's your enhancement bonus. In Pathfinder 2nd Edition, that's uh, that's like your power rune, basically. Um, for weapons in 2nd Edition, there's a striking rune, which multiplies the damage dice from your weapon. So like there are three steps. You go one die, two dice, three dice, four dice. Um so damage gets nuts. And then property runes are stuff like flaming, returning, holy, all those, the, the fun, fancy properties that aren't just math. Um, and the artifice, or the inventor, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> the inventor says, okay, what if my weapon was even more complicated? <laughs> what if my armor was even more complicated and gets a bunch of additional decision points on top of that? So like, if if you play 5th edition and look at the artificer and say this is the right level of complexity for me consider pathfinder second edition because like a typical character in pathfinder second edition is as complicated as a as an artificer in fifth edition if you look at uh, the artificer in fifth edition or a typical character in pathfinder say there aren't enough decision points here and there's not enough micromanagement the inventor is going to be really fun for you because they're there's so many buttons to push and knobs to turn and things to fiddle with and you get all the items and all the bells and whistles and then you can strap it all into your super cool invention and then you can blow it up and that makes me very happy there there's literally like one of the base features of your invention is you're the only person who can make it work because it's cobbled together with like duct tape and glue um, and you can just at some point be like, eh, overload it, turn into it, turn it into a bomb, and it does a d6 damage per character level. <laughs> it's yeah, it is a ton of damage. It is so good. So it <laughs> also, sorry, just fun thing that I, I did manage to parse out of this. If you do go as a pet class, you can have your pet be the thing that detonates. It doesn't just have to be the thing you're holding. So you know, just run your pet around a corner, nuke. Yeah, exactly. Like, You've been really good to me. What I need you to do is go over there. <laughs> See yeah, what's what's even better? The explosion somehow doesn't kill it. No. Oh. 
Yeah. No. Oh, no. It, it overloads it, which prevents you from using certain features. So, like, its hair's messed up, but it still works. Can it? Can it still move? Like, all right, you know, after you blow them up, please come back to me. Yeah, oh, it that's totally fantastic. can. Okay, I need to dive deeper in this. So, yeah, it's I didn't so get good. as much time to hop into gears, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, from what you're describing, to hop into a different nerddom, right? It sounds like Rocket Raccoon uh, from from the MCU. Uh, yes, okay. exactly. Yeah, I would play that. I'd play that in a heartbeat. That, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we skipped over it, but we there is also a new race buried in here called the Automaton. Uh, if you're coming from 5th edition, it, it'll feel very similar to the Warforged. The art takes a very different spin. Um, Random and I were saying earlier, if you're familiar with the Mass Effect franchise, they look like Geth, which is a little a little jarring in a fantasy setting, but the mechanics look pretty solid. Yeah, um, that was actually the so it, in a very similar feel to how the Artificer can kind of do anything, except maybe heal because it doesn't really have spells in this in this game. <laughs> but the Automaton really feels like you can by default do kind of anything with it i mean if you want it to fly it can fly if you want it to get swole it can get swole um <laughs> in in a way that like a lot of other races as i've read them you know they, they apart from humans because humans are also how all the half things happen and so you get a lot of uh weirdness there um automaton is really a single race that feels like ah well yes this is the amount of um variety you would get with a race that was literally built so that was really interesting to see just like no they can kind of do whatever you want them to and they're going to be pretty good at it so i guess what is the limitation of that at like character creation you know can i can i fly and be a submarine (laughs) probably not at first level um if you're coming from 5th edition, races work very differently. In 2nd edition, you get feats from your race every few levels. Um, so your race matters a lot more beyond 1st level. Like, in 5th edition, like you get a race at 1st level, and unless your race has some like central mechanic that you're building around that you're using all the time, your stats just kind of fall to the background compared to your class. Uh, Pathfinder 2nd edition, your race really is a super important part of your build for your entire career. Um, There are some ways to, like, tweak the options that you get from your race. Like, there's the adopted ancestry feat. Like, uh, you could be be an automaton who is adopted by goblins and pick goblin feats, Um, which, what a character. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so your race really matters, and uh, it can really define the mechanics of your character. And there's cool stuff like... uh, Sorry, this is a, a super stupid aside, but I just have, um, there's a new thing in here called ablative armor, which is basically disposable armor plates that you strap on to give yourself temporary hit points. And as a goblin, you can take a feat called junk tinker, which lets you craft items out of garbage to make them cheaper. So you can use junk tinker and ablative armor to give yourself temporary hit points by tying garbage to your body. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so i'm sorry that this this ablative armor I, it's interesting and maybe this is me not understanding the economy in this edition very much but it feels really odd there's a so there's a, in in both the the guns and the gears section there's a lot of items and i mean like a lot of items um and you know uh, some of them feel very cool very thematic um and then in this gear stuff there was a lot of just like 
why does this exist? <laughs> In a lot of this one-use armor, like this ablative armor, or um, a, a lot of this that, like, like uh, Tyler talked about, like you can attach wings to daggers, and then like you, it. So, and you think, oh, cool. This means like I can, you know, throw a dagger at somebody, and it's going to home in on them. Great. Um, okay, so you can you can have one that homes in on somebody, or you can have one that flies back to you. And if you you think, ah, oh, great, I have the one that flies back to me, so that I can reuse the same three daggers or whatever to throw them. The problem is you have to wind them. They're literally clockwork, and it takes an action to rewind them. So, like, I <laughs> I I feel like they made a lot of stuff. That is just bad. And m- maybe I don't understand it enough, but like, what? Okay, There's wanna... definitely. Sorry, go ahead, Rand. No, real quick, I want to push back on the the. Or I want to agree with how awesome the idea. Okay, so I'm a goblin. I'm looking across the campfire, and somebody's eating beans out of a can, and I'm like, "Hey, buddy, are you done with that that bean can?" And they say, "Yes." I take it. I flatten it. I strap it across my chest and I smile. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah. role play. Like that's it's, yeah, it is that's, great role play. That's what I want, right? And even you know the 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 the, the flying spoon that homes and comes back. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a dagger. It's not a spoon. Or is it a spoon dagger? I've I it, I'm the, sure. the, the sport of violence. By, so. <laughs> the sport of violence. <laughs> but, but the idea, right, that, like, the dagger <laughs> flies over there, it flies back, and then I'm sitting there winding. Like, I feel like that's great storytelling, because I'm hiding behind a pillar, just, like, counting one, two, three. <laughs> um, and it, and it, the other thing I'll say is, like, with that three-action action economy, it's an interesting choice, because early in a fight, I might make the decision to not rewind and to get an extra attack in with a recognition that this fight goes much longer, I'm going to be in a bad spot because I'm going to be sitting here winding my daggers for a whole turn. Um, Or vice versa, you know, if you're, you might be spending more money to get more daggers. So you spend less time winding. I think it equally, or yeah, equally be like an interesting decision point that you're negotiating with your DM of like, okay, I don't want to spend my money on this, but seems like I got to. Yeah. uh, There are some cases like that where things like things offer options that you might not use every turn, and the uh, the knife wing things I'm forgetting their names are a really great example. Um, so you might you definitely probably aren't going to wind those every turn and throw them. Like the the homing option lets you get around cover, so it's more likely that you'll have that. Oh, there's somebody has cover. I'm going to wind this real quick and then throw it immediately. Um, Cases like that, or you might just walk in every fight with them pre-wound. Um, I think I think one thing that Paizo dropped the ball on with that uh, is the idea of switching weapons. So much like Pathfinder First Edition and three five before it, um, you generally have one weapon. Like you have one really really good weapon that you've put all of your gold into. If you're two weapon fighting, you have two weapons that are a little less good. But no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, I've got, like, ten really good guns in case any of them misfire. Like, there's a feat for the gunslinger that lets you, um, as a reaction, your gun misfires. As a reaction, you stow it and draw a different gun. No one is going to have enough guns to make that work. Like, you, you can't afford it. There's not enough gold in the world. 
Uh, um, well, although so, you did say that it was rare that a gun would, it's more rare in, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition for a gun to misfire, right? Yeah. You, you either have to not sleep correctly or you have to intentionally use something that has a chance. Like the, there's, there is one feat in particular that I read that was like, <clears throat> you're going to do a crazy powerful shot. It's literally load an extra charge of black powder. If you hit, it does a boatload of damage. But if you miss at all, it is a misfire. Um, so, like, unless you're using something very powerful like that, misfires aren't really going to happen. Well, and I yeah. do feel like, uh, how would you actually handle that? Maybe you would carry two guns with you total. You would take the risks until you get burnt. And once you get burnt, you would basically avoid anything that might lead to a misfire on your second weapon, right? Yeah, that that sounds reasonable, but the scale on how powerful weapons become like okay so so quick touch on striking runes so uh there's three tiers of striking it's like minor major greater if i remember correctly and i'm drawing a blank on this one so sorry fans at home um so your your weapon will do a die of damage like it's always one die there's no 2d6 great swords in pathfinder um so a pistol does a d6 so a, the first rune of striking makes that 2d6. The second one makes it 3d6. The fourth makes it 4d6. And, you know, it's it's doubled on a critical hit. So, like, you want that extra damage die because that adds up real fast. So, so let's say I have a greater striking pistol that's doing 3d6 damage. And my backup weapon is a plus two lesser striking pistol. So, like, I'm losing plus one to hit. I'm losing an entire D6 of damage, and I'm probably losing any property runes that I had on my big gun. So, like, going to your backup weapon is crippling. So, but very you. much Misfire... Misfire was recoverable in 1st edition. It is death in 2nd edition. So, like, if you Misfire, first thing you gotta do is fix that Misfire, because you are useless until you get that fixed. And then what, how many actions does it typically take to fix a misfire? Oh, I should know that answer off the top of my head, and I don't, and I feel bad about that. Um, mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not huge. Like, you have to spend a couple of actions fixing your gun. Um, so, like, you can do it in the, the like within the span of combat. So you're not just like, okay, my gun misfired. I'm done. I'm going to go take a nap. Um, but it's still time that you're not spending fighting, which is a big cost to your team. So, okay. uh, so it's always a risk reward anytime you have a chance to misfire. And so it generally seems like you'd be, you know, at, you'll miss something on the order of a round of combat where you're not productive. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Okay. I, I need to double check. I haven't memorized that rule yet. Well, no one will hold us. Actually, you should tweet at us at RPG, BOT, DOT, NET. Tell Tyler why he's wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Internet. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag why, Tyler, why? Um, <laughs> a couple other fun things in the gears section. Uh, so Siege Engine's a thing, um, and there's, like, a lot of rules for them. I mean, I uh, it, it's kind of amusing. So comparing this to 5th edition, with which I am much more familiar, it's kind of amusing how many backgrounds... Uh, give you things like land vehicle piloting in 5th edition that I have had come up literally once. Um, and it's and yet it's very common, which, sure. And yet here we are in, in PF2 with a bunch of actual cool vehicles, including a literal Hell's Moving Castle. It's in there. I don't know, like, 
why they felt that necessary, but it's super cool. And then also, like, what if we just put uh, a, you know, kind of flying wizard time machine orb? Um, <laughs> which is neat, but yeah, so in, in terms of more regular siege engines, I mean, there, you know, you've got your, here's a battering ram, here's a, a three-tier tower with, like, you've got your people driving it on the bottom, you've got your commander on top, you've got places for, um, for you know, soldiers stowed away. Um and some really robust rules for it, which I was pleasantly surprised about because it, you know, it it it's interesting that these games, while being in a very medieval setting where siege warfare was like literally the meta, um, have so few rules to play into it. Because you know, if if you want to be in this fantasy setting, that maybe is something that you want to participate in, and. Um, you know, I, I've only ever even seen one uh, adventure path that even really delved into like large scale army fighting, which was um, in three point five. Uh, Red Hand of up, Doom. Red Hand of Doom. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you know, like, had a really cool system of tracking points of like, okay, well, clearly you are not an army, but you are four very important people, and so like. If you do this thing, it adds points to your tracker, and then at various points along the timeline, of which there was a literal timeline that, like, players, you know, were being measured against, if you have points, you do this thing and this thing. So seeing actual siege rules for people who want to have that in their game, I am very pleased about that, and I think that they're going to have a lot of fun picking up the stuff and looking at it. We should do an episode on war. Yeah. Just executing a war in tabletop gaming. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> it's hard, so we should do it. There you go. <laughs> okay, you, you heard it. Awesome. Uh, so, did I, I guess one of the things that was interesting within Gears is the idea that we we now have like artificer style equipment that can be available to everybody. Yeah, you know, that's sort of what I was talking about, like the like the clockwork stuff that you can put on your on your weapons or that sort of thing. It. Um, and it's interesting because, again, a, a lot of it seems very single-use, and therefore they made it cost money, like, single-use things, which that's the part that sort of feels really weird to me, is, like, I I, I don't... It, it feels very weird to both introduce a class that does this, and then also introduce a way to pay money to mimic a class. Um, so, and I, I, I don't know how that would play out in an actual game um i mean is it is it basically an opportunity cost like as as a real thing right so you could take these feats and if you take these feats you get these benefits if you don't want to take these feats but you want the benefits you have to pay money for them yeah that's about right um the alchemist is probably the i mean it's the most accessible answer because it's in the core rule book for second edition um so you can buy any item that the alchemist uses. You can buy any bomb, you can buy any mutagen, you can buy any elixir, um, and they come with a gold cost. But the alchemist gets to, like, I have these disposable reagents that, that I produce each day by some means and can use to craft incredibly powerful and incredibly expensive items for free. They only last a day, but, like, I get all these, like, level 20 bombs for free, and I'm going to go throw them on people. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so there is a lot of that. There are a lot of character options in 2nd Edition that really embrace crafting as a character concept. Um, 
snares, bombs, elixirs, mutagens, traps, uh, disposable weapons, all these kind of stuff. So if you want to build a character to be a crafter, like there's a ton of options. And Guns and Gears introduces um, a ton of new options. Like uh, it took a while to get more snares, and snares were like a big thing in the core rulebook. Like rangers are really good at snares, and then we got kobolds in the advanced player's guide and kobolds are really really good at snares so like if you want to like snares kobold ranger um and then uh guns and gears has a bunch of new snares in it to expand on that so like every time we get new items those item based classes get new options just like a spellcaster would uh if we added new spells um now one thing one thing that's pretty easy to overlook if you're unfamiliar with pathfinder or second edition um the tagging system uh, basically everything has tags on it, which give you some meta information about it. A ton of the stuff in guns and gears has the uncommon tag. Um, so your common items are like your long sword, your full plate, your longbow, like that stuff that you can find anywhere in the setting stuff that's uncommon is available with DM with your GM's permission. Like if it makes sense that your character has seen these things like, Oh yes, my, my dwarf fighter is from a clan of dwarfs that famously uses firearms. So my character has access to firearms because I grew up around them. Um, whereas like, Oh, I'm a goblin who lives in a deep dark cave. I've never heard. I've never even heard the sound of black powder. Um, can I have a gun please? And your GM will rightfully say like, where would you get one? Um, uh, so rare items are, are rare, both in the sense like they're very hard to find, but also I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, so like I, I have the siege weapons open in front of me right now and I've seen like three things in here that are rare, like the Helio, Helipolis, someone help me. Um, Heliopolis? Maybe, uh, Helipolis, the, the death coil, which is a... Uh, a bed of Tesla coils used as spikes in a pit, as far as I can tell. Good, um, good. So, like, there, there's some stuff in here that's rare. So, like, you're not going to run into this stuff a whole lot. You're not going to find this at like your your adventurers farmers market. Yeah. Um, so let, let me ask to, to be clear. So, like in in five e, I'm used to the idea of thinking of like common, uncommon, rare as essentially what level would you expect a character to encounter this. What I feel like I'm hearing you say, though, is slightly different in the sense that uncommon also might mean there just aren't very many examples of this in the world. Um, is it still a statement of also, and you probably aren't going to achieve or acquire this until you hit some level? Well, it's really going to be... So one of the cool things about Pathfinder is because there is basically just the one setting, there's different um, regions where it's going to make more sense. And in fact, one of the cool things, if you do choose to use the... Um, the last chapter, the like settings chapter is it has a neat map of like, how did black powder like go from trade routes to along places? How did clockwork tech go from trade routes along places? And so you're like, they're like starts at Absalom goes here, goes here, goes here, goes here. Um, and so, I mean, cool that they thought of that in, in that gazetteer section. Um, and that's that I think more than like level, like you say, cause you know, you think in fifth edition, all right, yes, I'm a super powerful wizard. If I can't teleport to a friend who has robes of the archmage, I'm doing it wrong, right? Um, where in, in Pathfinder, it really can be like, okay, if you want this thing, you're going to have to go to the people who make it. And um, even the, the uh, like some of the um, 
automaton uh like things call that out like you're you're this you're this race that was made by this one people in this one area or like there's an um there, there's a set of tech that's like uh you know spoilers there's like a starship crashed in one section of galarian yeah. um and so uh there's like you are getting this tech from this place where this starship is crashed. So, you know, if you're from there, it makes sense. Or if you, like, as a character, at you know, in the narrative, go visit there. Maybe that's how you're going to find these things. So, like, maybe they're rare across the world because you can only find them here. Um, and so that's that's a lot more the way I see the Pathfinder item system. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, that uh, the the starship crashing in my my fantasy world definitely felt bonkers when I was first reading it. Uh, I I should introduce you to some very old AD and D modules, but that's a very different episode. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, so yeah, I I like the book. I I'm going to be honest. I think I need more time with it to really digest everything that's available to it. Uh, but I definitely think it's something that the next time we pick up a Pathfinder 2 campaign, we should totally bring this in. I agree. Awesome. Random? In or out? Uh, cautiously optimistic and in. Um, I, you know, again, it, 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 it does sort of seem like maybe there's some power creep going on, um, and so I'm, I am curious how that's going to stack up against other things with, again, my very limited knowledge of Pathfinder. Um, you know, it, it does sort of seem like Automaton is really good at a lot of things. It does sort of seem like Inventor is really good at a lot of things. Um, and, and so you're maybe running into the, the problem that Tasha's introduced where, like, why do I play anything from before this? Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, it, how, you know, if that maybe starts becoming too overrepresented. But with that said, I definitely think I would err on the side of let's use it, let's play with it, and let's see how that falls out. Yeah, it feels like we're going to have to do some research, so everybody kind of buckle down. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight uh, for this RPG bot dot book review of Gears and Guns. Uh, I really enjoyed our time together. Uh, if you look in the show notes, you'll find affiliate links for a lot of the content that we've discussed, including uh, Guns and Gears. And yeah, we look forward to seeing you next time. Is it Gears and Guns or Guns and Gears? It's Guns and Gears. What did I, what, did I say it both ways? That way I was you right did. once? Yes. All right, 50-50, that's all. Mission accomplished.